James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half years it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Over the past few weeks as we've heard, read, and studied these words that describe some of the more ordinary conditions of daily life, we pondered the question of just how much God's hand is involved in these things that take place. Are such matters of daily life as these that are spoken about here, sufferings, sickness, even some serious illnesses, are they just part of being alive in this fallen world? I've heard that preached. But is that what's taking place? that it's just part of being alive in this fallen world and it's brought on by uncontrolled random events, random accidents, uncontrolled acts of nature. Well, again, with this message, we will conclude our study of all these mysterious matters and also this book of James. But before we leave it, I do want us to go back and give one last consideration of these questions, especially the mysterious interaction that takes place between the sovereignty of God and the free will of men. The sovereignty of God and the free will of men. And please do bear with me. I'll mention things that we have been saying for the past few weeks again. Firstly, as Christians, most all of us who profess faith in God do believe that God truly is sovereign that He is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's omnipresent, and that He is fully able to be involved in everything that takes place. But the question that still remains is, what is the actual extent of God's participation in all the many things of our day? What is the actual extent of His participation? In earlier messages, we pondered the question, is God passive in His involvement? As many do believe, only watching us and our activities from a distance. Or is He much more up close and involved even long before our situations and our circumstances begin? Are our daily circumstances actually a part of a sovereign plan that God laid out for us even before the foundations of the earth? 
a plan that is now unfolding each day with Him leading and directing us through the steps of that plan. And the question that adds confusion into all of these matters is how does man's free will fit in to this mysterious equation of God's sovereign plan? Most people seem to believe that free will rather than God's sovereignty is the main cause of most everything that takes place. At least that is the way we talk. Those are the things that we say. And yes, it is clear to see that men and women do have a very strong free will. I do. And I know that you do. And that free will is obviously a powerful force that is always interacting with most all of the many daily matters of life. But again, what is really taking place beneath the surface of all of that? In the Westminster Confession of Faith, the church scholars have concluded that God truly is sovereign and that He is the first cause, the initiator of all that takes place on the earth. And further, that man's responses and man's behaviors are second causes. Second causes. And that whenever man's free will second causes come into opposition with God's perfect will, then God will often not intervene. He will not do violence, as they word it. God will not do violence to stop man's free will behavior. At least, not all of the time. And probably... Not often. He seems to allow us to suffer the consequences of our behaviors. And so we have this interaction then of God's sovereignty causing events to take place and then our free will that interacts with it. And what is taking place? That's the question. All of these assumptions about man and his free will do seem to be true. That we can reach our free will hand into God's sovereign plan and to some degree change things from what God would desire to take place. But this Bible assures us that God's sovereignty is still always in place and always the unwavering standard, never waning or varying, even in the face of the strongest of striving from man's free will, God's sovereign plan eventually prevails. That's assured to us in these scriptures. One passage that speaks specifically about God's plans and purposes for us is given in Acts 17, and I'd like for you to turn there if you would, Acts 17, verse 26. And I'd like for us to read this passage together, beginning in verse 25. Acts 17, 25. Now I'm reading from the New International Version. It gives a, a little more plain English, and I like it. Beginning in verse 25 of Acts 17, listen to these words carefully tells us that God is not served by human hands as if He needed anything, 
because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined, listen, and He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. That's the pure Word of God. Now take a moment with me and let's consider these words. In verse 25, here of Acts 17, God tells us that He is not dependent upon us, you and me, for anything but that instead we are dependent upon Him for everything, even the very breath that we breathe. In my reading of these words, you have probably breathed one or ten times. Every breath that you just breathed was dependent upon God. He was sustaining your breath that you breathe now, right at this moment. Then he goes on to tell us that from one man, Adam, he then made all men and women, and that's you and me, but all men and women throughout history. And by the way, that is once again validating the account of God's sovereignty and the creation of men. We did not evolve from some primordial ooze. We all descended from this one man, Adam. God validates line upon line, precept upon precept through these scriptures. And then here in verse 26, God is very specific. He's saying that He set exact times and exact places when and where each of us would live on this earth. The very day that we would be born and the very day we'll die. By the way, read that specifically also in Psalm 139. Precept upon precept, line upon line. Scripture proves itself. These words here in Acts 17, they're clearly saying to you and to me that God put you and me on this earth at this exact time. And He put you and me right where we are right now. In our homes, in our towns, in rural Mississippi. And then He tells us why He did that exact thing. In verses 27 and 28, we read, God did this so that men, you and me, would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. This wording here, reach out and find Him, it is a form of, another translation uses the word groping. We just grab for and hang on to. It's not just that we might reach out casually and touch. We are to reach out and grab hold of Him. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. These simple words give us a very clear and exact answer as to why you are sitting in your pew right at this moment. And the question for you and me is, how will we exercise our free will right at this moment? Will we join God in His will and what He's doing in our lives? Will we do as He's telling us here? Will we reach out and seek and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him? 
Because He, according to these words, is right here with us. He is so close to us that we can touch Him. That's what these words are saying. Do you believe that? This is the truth of God. We so often want to use this word that we were talking about a while ago, allegory or metaphorical. This is not metaphorical. This is literal. He is that close. He has put you and me right here, right now, so that we would reach out and take hold of Him. These words are plain and simple, but they require a response from you and me. Will we obey the sovereign God who is giving us every opportunity to have Him as our Savior and our Lord, or will we ignore Him? Will we reject Him? Now, may I stop and repeat what God has just said in these words. I want to say it again so that we'll understand it. Here God has told you that He has birthed you into being at this exact moment in time. And He has set you in an exact place. It is no accident that you live in your town. It is not your choice that you live in your town. God has placed you there. He has placed you in your house. He has placed you in this church. He has placed you in these pews, listening right now to these words. Now what will you do with your free will? Will you seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him because He is not far from you? Or will you reject Him? Now, you may be thinking, but I am already a Christian. I'm already a Christian. But folks, here in these words, God is saying something that's far deeper than your initial salvation. Yes, if you're not saved, truly saved, you must reach to Him for salvation. But even though we are already saved, we must still reach for Him every moment of this day and every other day. Why? Because of these next words. Because it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. That we have the very breath that we breathe. And that's also why God is explaining these words here to us in James 5. He's saying to us that whatever the circumstance of our daily life, we're to reach for Him and to find Him. These words of James five thirteen. If any is anyone among you suffering, then we are to pray. Is anyone cheerful? Then we are to sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now, most likely, you and I are experiencing at least one of these, if not several of them, of these symptoms of daily life that's mentioned here. Right at this very moment, we're experiencing them. Each of us has some form of suffering that's taking place within us. And if not today, tomorrow. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's all of those things. God's declaring to you and to me that every time we experience such things, then we are to immediately reach out for Him, to find Him, because He's not far from us. He tells us also that when we're cheerful, when things are going well for us, our family, our workplace, our health, 
our finances, when all of those things are doing reasonably well, then we should remember who it was who put us right where we are, right now, in this moment, and we should praise Him and worship Him for bringing these pleasant days to us. And then here in verse 14, God tells us about those times when our health is undergoing some serious problems and we need help. What are we supposed to do? Verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Unfortunately, you and I don't often do this. We don't often do this. A few days ago, instead of following these words, I did what I usually do. I was feeling pain and I immediately called a doctor and went to see the doctor. Is that a wrong thing to do? When is it right to go to the doctor? When is it right to go to the elders of the church? And I have to confess to you that I really don't know the answer to that question. I have done both. And both have helped me. Often, when I go to the doctor, I question whether I should be doing that. Am I denying God and and rejecting Him and rejecting His specific instructions that are given here? Now, I realize that most people who hear me say that would think I'm extreme. They'll tell me that doctors are given to us as a common grace provision. And we should be thankful. And I agree with that. That doctors are common grace. But are the doctors and their common grace intended to be our primary care? Our first choice? Or is God supposed to be our primary care physician? When is it right to go to the elders of the church? And when is it right to go to the doctor? These verses 14 and 15, are they to be exercised for every sickness or only for real serious sicknesses? As some people would think. Some people, though, complain as though they are seriously ill most of the time. And I've noticed that as we get older, us older folks seem to have, at least we talk about our health and our suffering far more than we talk about anything else. I considered this practically. And practically speaking, if we brought every illness to the elders of the church, the elders would be required to be on duty and on call every moment, night and day. And they would be so busy that they would have little time left for the preaching and the teaching of God's Word considering the church that I spoke about earlier that has 35,000 members, can you imagine obeying verbatim this verse about calling the elders every time someone is sick? And so there's questions to be answered in this. I recall again, some years ago, I kneeled before the elders of this church and they anointed me with oil and prayed over me to heal three ruptured vertebrae in my neck. I've not experienced a problem since, and I'm fully persuaded that 
God heal me. But then again, last year, my arthritic knee had so deteriorated to the point of needing some serious repair, and for some reason I did not feel led of the Lord to call the elders. But instead I went to the physician, and through the common grace of medical care, my knee was healed. I must confess to you that I am confused about this perplexing command of God. Are these words that tell us to go to the elders of the church, are they absolute and to be followed verbatim at every circumstance? Or does God give you unction for each illness? And again, I do not know. I would love to tell you an answer from God. I do know, though, that we should seek His guidance and direction each time that we find that we need medical care. Beyond that, I have to apologize and say I don't know. I don't know if God is absolute and that this should be... I know that He's absolute, but is this an absolute command for every circumstance? I hope to know more later and I'll share that with you if the Lord brings me an answer. But here also, God is speaking about sin and how it's often a part of sickness and illness. And it is. Things that we do cause us to be sick and have long-term illnesses. And unfortunately, as we bring on our own suffering with our free will, sinful behavior, we need to deal with it. And we need to deal with it both as a health problem and as a sin problem. And that's what God is saying here. You have two problems involved. You have a health problem and you have a sin problem. First John 1 John 1.9, thankfully, tells us that if we'll humbly confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness as well as what He tells us here. He'll heal our physical problems. And then here also, God speaks of the value of our confessing our sins to each other and before the church. Folks, as you know, that's one of the hardest things to do, to stand before the people that know you and confess problems that you don't want them to know about. Our pride becomes our stumbling block there. But here in these words, God is requiring a great measure of humility from us. And that's what He's after. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, we get to see that humility is one of the basic characteristics of Christ's own character. And so, no less humility should be required of you and me. I need to close now, but let me do that with this verse 16, which tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman will avail much. As I've considered that verse over the years, I've questioned Am I a righteous man that could pray this prayer? And so the Lord gives us these words about Elijah. God tells us that Elijah was a common man just like you and me. And he prayed, and God answered his prayers. You and I are common men and women, and God will do the same for us. The only requirement of us is that we surrender our hearts fully to Christ. And when we do that, His shed blood and the indwelling Holy Spirit will make us to be that righteous man or woman that He's talking about here who can pray and have our prayers avail much. 
And as he says here, sometimes bringing comfort, sometimes healing, sometimes even bringing a, a wandering soul back to Christ from his rebellious ways. And so, as we close this book then of James, may we give unending thanks to God that He truly is sovereign and that through His sovereignty, He does each day show mercy and grace to our free will, sinful souls. And as we surrender our hearts to Him, He gives us life and breath and sustains us through every one of these circumstances that we encounter. Listen to these words. From one man, Adam, he made every nation of men that they would inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they would live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let's pray.